Welcome to Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. I'm Dave Spano, joined in studio for our Week in Review with Derek Felsky. Welcome, Derek. Thanks, Dave. There was a lot of news going into this week, but the big story for sure was the jobs report on Friday morning. Yeah, and it really was an interesting report. On the headline, it looked like uh, the job market is very strong. The number was 336,000, almost more than twice what was forecast. But when you dug into the weeds, you saw the wage growth actually was at the slowest level since last year which is certainly something the Fed has been looking for. And the Fed certainly was looking at this number because through their rate hiking schedule, they want to dampen the economy. And part of that is slowing down jobs growth. But that's really not what we saw. No, we saw a beat in terms of the number of new jobs created. Uh, The bulk of those jobs, however, were in the hospitality services area, which is usually not a source of wage inflation, since so much of that is more like minimum wage with tips not included. So it really wasn't as strong a report as it seemed. And again, the interest rate markets reacted. The 10-year Treasury yield jumped about 12 basis points immediately, but also but gave back most of those gains by the end of the day. And by by the way, throughout Friday, they ended on a good number, up nearly 400 points Friday afternoon. And we were have some reason for optimism from that. Well, we do for, certainly. I mean, from a technical perspective, we're nearing a lot of support levels. The percentage of stocks above the 50-day moving average at a very low level, 11%. Fear and Greed Index, which we talk a lot about, got as low as 16, which is where it was last fall before the market exploded in early 2023. So it's certainly a better time to be buying equities now than it was in July. So let's talk about that. You know, there's so much negative news out there. And, you know, even on uh, our show here, we've talked about a pending issue with rate related to debt that could upset the Apple part. But there is a lot of positive news. And let's turn to what's really going to start here in about a week or so. And that's the earnings. Right. Earnings are going to start coming out. We get the big banks towards the end of next week. Uh, expectation is for earnings to be flat, but if you X out energy, the expectation is for a 7% year-on-year growth with double-digit forecast for Q4 and into 2024. So earnings are looking good. Earnings growth looks good. And you talk about the Federal Reserve, and we've made mention of that through the jobs report and the pending inflation report next week. If the Fed is done, that is also another positive. Absolutely. We get CPI and PPI next Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, That will validate whether these trends we saw in the most recent report continue. Uh, The other thing that I thought was interesting, Dave, this goes back a long way. I mean, right now, the United States is paying 4.8% on the 10-year bond. In Greece, they're paying 4%. (laughs) And in Germany, 2.9%. But in both cases, they have a higher rate of inflation than we do. So I wonder whether, to some degree, people are overreacting this country about the threat of inflation. Well, you talk about the Greek debt crisis, and you'll remember that from years ago when the whole world was going to implode, and now their treasury rates are near ours. So I do find that quite humorous. However, let's go back to the positive story and the fact that we see that earnings reports are coming out. We expect a better number. Here's another piece of good news. Oil almost got to $100 a barrel and then did a turnaround. Right. It's down about 15% in the last eight trading days. Uh, Again, OPEC continues to restrict production, but in this case, there may be just a lack of demand at the moment. We've also seen gasoline prices have come off rather dramatically. I saw a 309 at the pump on my way to work the other day. Uh, so gasoline prices have backed off as well. So it's very possible 
from what I've seen recently, that the Fed may actually engineer a soft landing. Well, we'll have to see because, you know, you look at a lot of the numbers and when they've raised interest rates as quickly as they've done, and we've went back 40 or 50 years, that generally is followed by a slowdown. But this time may be different. And that's one of the most important terms in the financial services business because the outcome is really related to what the inputs are. And I'm talking about a substantial raise in short-term rates. Right. But I think, you know, I think we have to think about what happened with COVID. You know, interest rates stayed so low for so long that it allowed companies to refinance at incredibly attractive levels. It allowed homeowners to refinance their mortgages at under 3%. So those folks are not sensitive to higher interest rates. In fact, corporations are benefiting because right now the net interest income they're receiving on their cash is higher than what they're paying in debt. So it's actually a positive net interest cost, which is very unusual. Yep, good. A thoughtful uh, week in review. Thanks, Derek. Our week in review is always available on demand. Spotify at the top of the hour and in our Axiom newsletter or wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're back. I'm Dave Spano, President and CEO of Annex Wealth Management, riding along with Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer. And no doubt, Derek, there was a lot to talk about this week, but the overriding story might be something that the daily person doesn't look at, and that's the 10-year Treasury. Yeah, the 10-year closed the week at roughly uh, 4.8%, which is up substantially on the week. And one thing that I thought was interesting, Dave, in the market action this week, as you'd expect with with 10-year Treasury yields rising that much, that the the tech-heavy NASDAQ would suffer, but it actually didn't. And when I look at 2024 estimates, I'm looking for information technology to run a roughly an 18% year-over-year increase, communication services, a similar number. So a lot of the positive performance we've seen from the NASDAQ probably reflects optimism about the impact that AI can have on the income statements of many of these large companies. So let's talk about that for a minute. So there's 500 names in the S&P 500, obviously. The top seven, the mega cap really was pulling the train along the way. So you look at the other 490 to 493 names that are out there, but you really have to break those apart because some of those sectors are very debt laden. And of course, when interest rates go up, that affects their portfolios. Examples would be, for for example, you think about staples, utilities, and real estate. Absolutely. They've been abysmal performers this year. And you know, when you look at the mega caps, the top seven names, they're trading at about 27 times earnings by nowhere near the valuation we saw at the peak of the tech bubble and 99 and 2000, but the rest of the market is trading about 16 times. So between now and year end, our expectation is that technology will continue to trade reasonably well given the forecast for next year, but there could be a hurry up catch up move in the rest of these stocks because small caps are also down 22% from their all time high. And that's a significant valuation disparity with large caps. And there's a term we call reversion to the mean, and that may happen. But you were telling me on the way to work this morning that there was a person in front of you who kept riding the brakes fronting on the way to the on the freeway and it drove you nuts but it's kind of what the fed is doing right now well the fed you know you and i've had a lot of fun you know criticizing the fed talking about them driving through the rearview mirror and the like and you know waiting for data as opposed to looking at you know data that's kind of has leading aspects to it and right now i think the fed is in a data dependent mode and if if things continue the way they are it's very possible we will not see a rate hike in november there's only a 32 percent probability of that and it may be the 
that just by talking about being vigilant about inflation, they're doing the job they need to do. Yeah, job owning. And so let's talk about what this means for everyone listening to the show. How do you look at your portfolio and where should you be positioned? There is opportunities not only in equities, but in the fixed income portfolio as well. Right. In fixed income, what we've been doing is gradually, and I mean gradually, increasing the duration of our portfolio, meaning that we believe that with growth likely to slow in 2024 from the pace of the third quarter this year, uh, that, that interest rates may fall, which would allow people to generate a profit on the long side in, in treasuries. In addition, we own a lot of uh, shorter duration vehicles generating about a 5% yield. And then in equities, because we believe duration is the way to go, we recently added a little bit to our tech exposure. And you talk about really another leg of the stool, and that is just sitting on the sidelines and putting the money in cash. We're talking to a lot of potential clients who like getting 5% in money markets. Right, and it's a real yield. It's it's, it's above the rate of inflation, so that's a good thing. And then the nice thing about it is you buy treasury bills, for example, they're extremely liquid. If you feel there's an opportunity uh, to upgrade your portfolio by potentially adding to your equity exposure on weakness if it occurs, then you can easily do that. And you talk about you know what we set up before, that there is a potential for a rebound going into Q4. That's seasonality, and that's really my final thought. And that's always been a powerful thing. You know, they always say sell in May and go away, but by extension, they're saying buy in November 1st and sell on you know April Fool's Day, if you will. Uh, and that's something that over the years has happened. And, and I think we're kind of set up for that. The sentiment positioning is very negative. The valuations, as I mentioned, on the vast majority of stocks are more attractive. And the reason for those tech stocks to do as well as they have is that AI is going to lead to a lot of capital spending on the part of companies. And one more thing that we talked about is there's this oversold environment. In fact, there are a lot of stocks that really are down significantly at this point. Right. I I refer to the fear and greed index. That's one indicator of of negative sentiment. But in terms of valuations, you see some utility stocks now trading at levels they haven't traded to in my career, frankly. They've been just murdered recently. And also, you know, some of the areas of, of consumer staples and uh, real estate are also fairly attractive. We're looking at one data center REIT this week that we may add to our portfolios that is not hasn't been this cheap since 19 uh, since 2018. Yep, and, and there's there's lots more like that. So let's change gears. By the way, the IRS says they're getting better with customer service. They also say they're stepping up enforcement. What does that mean for taxpayers? We'll dig in after the break. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, the one6 trillion dollar inflation reduction act of 2022 increased the irs budget by roughly 80 billion dollars over 10 years for expansion and modernization efforts what are we seeing so far and what can we expect to see our guy eric strom always on top of this he's the financial planning manager at annex wealth management as well as a cfp and an ea an enrolled agent with the irs Eric, let's start there. What's an EA? An enrolled agent is similar to being a CPA. However, this credential is awarded directly from the IRS, and it is the highest credential that the IRS awards. Enrolled agents have all the same rights to represent a client before the IRS, just like an attorney or a CPA would. Do you have a special phone number you can use? Yeah, but I can't really talk (laughs) about that. I bet you can't. The IRS says this funding has allowed the agency to, quote, dramatically improve services to taxpayers and aided its goal to continue to ensure that wealthy individuals pay their taxes. Let's tackle those goals in order. First, what did the agency say about improvements in its operations? 
Well, this is a big positive because there have been a lot of customer service complaints from the IRS, from both taxpayers, you know, all of us here as Americans and from professionals as well. But this year we saw an improvement. Janet Yellen had set a target of, we want to see 85% level of service during the 2023 filing season. And we did actually see 87% achieved. So that's a big positive. We saw the IRS taking millions of more phone calls than the prior year. And this is great, Danny. They cut phone wait times Mm -hmm. down from 28 minutes to three minutes on average. And that's something that makes a really big difference. Um, And just more modernization and new scanning technologies and other improvements have been really welcomed. And by the way, IRS practitioners or those of us who actually call the IRS on behalf of clients, we were having those wait times as well. Holy cow. So have you noticed any of this? Oh yeah, it's definitely improved this year. And not only in our own experience, but I uh, stay engaged with a lot of other professionals around the nation and everyone has really noticed a big improvement. They've also worked through a lot of the backlog. There have been unbelievable backlog of returns not processed by the IRS. And a lot of that has improved quite a bit. Eric Strom is financial planning manager at Annex Wealth Management, CFP, also an EA with the IRS. The $80 billion increase in the IRS budget over 10 years for expansion and modernization. They had a decade of budget cuts that prevented them from keeping pace. And what the IRS labeled as the increasingly complicated set of tools the wealthiest taxpayers use to hide income and evade taxes. You know, that that's kind of a charged statement, but I guess it's true. So what, what's the progress there? They targeted 175 taxpayers that had income of over a million dollars a year, but these taxpayers had delinquent taxes that they owed. And the IRS was able to bring in already $38 million in recoveries from those people. And they kind of sang that from the mountaintops. They want everyone to know. And then the IRS commissioner used these words. This is just the start. That kind of does invoke some fear in some people. Okay, this is news to me. But what do you know about the schemes in like Puerto Rico and outside the U.S., specifically the little tiny island country of Malta, where evasion, laundering and false tax returns flourish? Well, it's interesting you bring that up because the IRS puts out what they call the dirty dozen tax scams. And both of what you just mentioned were on there. They're both pretty interesting. Now, with Puerto Rico, we actually have thousands of Americans who are living in Puerto Rico to specifically are really incentivized to go there to avoid paying federal income tax, including, by the way, Danny, dividends, capital gains, investment type income. And this is above board. You need to live there. I believe it's 183 days or more. So there are certain rules. But what's happening is that there are operators that are scheming and they're getting people who don't actually spend those days there claiming that they have this special exemption when they really don't. And this is happening in an organized fashion. So they are trying to crack down now on this fraud that's really happening out there with Puerto Rico. Well, Puerto Rico and Malta, they're lovely places that you could spend a long time, but people are just aren't staying there enough. Right. right. But yeah. let me tell you about Malta, though, because it's pretty interesting. So what's happening there, we're seeing this, it's called a Maltese pension scam. So oh, what yeah. people are doing, people are actually, let's say, Danny, that you've been a really successful investor here in the U.S. Maybe you've got lots of appreciated holdings that you haven't paid those taxes on, but they're appreciated. People are opening up a pension in Malta, then contributing those appreciated 
securities to their Maltese pension, selling the securities within the pension, and then taking a distribution out. This is a way to completely evade the taxes. It is not at all legal, but it is happening a lot more than you might think to the point where it made it to that dirty dozen list. We do a lot of tax planning. What's the legit way to really reduce your taxable income? Well, there are many ways to legally avoid taxes, not evade. Notice we said avoid taxes and reduce taxes. First of all, the big question off the bat is, are you a business owner or not? Because business owners have tremendous additional power beyond non-business owners to have a lot of impact. There are many, many strategies depending on your entity and other factors for business owners. But even for non-business owners or retirees, there are a lot of ways that you can reduce taxes. First of all, you want to take a long-term view because many of us in retirement, taxes are the number one expense that you will have. Number one. Research shows that. With that in mind, there are long-term strategies, charitable strategies, of course, but also things like Roth conversions or gain harvesting, loss harvesting. These are bread and butter tax strategies that work really well, especially when viewed over a long term and repeated many, many years with that detailed ongoing tax planning. We do tax planning for our clients year round. We can do it for you. Head to the website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Startup button. Eric Strom, Financial Planning Manager, CFP and an EA with the IRS at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Danny. Before we break, just want to remind you, we've got a bunch of locations for you. Elm Grove, Lake Country, Mequon, Appleton, downtown Milwaukee, right inside the Fister, Madison, Naples, Florida, Libertyville, Illinois, or as close as your computer. Time for news. And for that, let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development at Annex Wealth Management, also a CFP, CDFA, and a Wealth Manager. Welcome back. Hi. Many of us are acquainted with the phrase prenup or prenuptial. When some famous couple divorces, you'll hear people ask, did they sign a prenup? But prenups and even postnups are worth discussing in certain circumstances, and that's what we're going to do with Deanne Phillips. And in fact, as we list her title, she is a CDFA, and can you explain that? Certainly. So financial planners, and I am a CFP, we have dozens of CFPs on staff at Annex. Their role is to help people achieve their financial goals regardless of whether they're divorcing or happily married. Now, conversely, accountants, so CPAs, typically confine themselves to examining the details of a present-day scenario. But if called upon to participate in a divorce proceeding, they might calculate the taxes on dividing property combined with the effect of child support, spousal support, over a very short period of time. But those accountants don't typically project further into the future. So to best meet the needs of a divorcing client, a blend of those two ideologies is really needed. And that is what a CDFA or Certified Divorce Financial Analyst is. That role is to help both client and lawyer understand how the financial decisions made today will impact the client's financial future. And based on certain assumptions, of course, they take a look at the whole picture. So what got my attention was an article titled, Women, Listen Up, if you aren't going to be the high-earning spouse in a marriage, you're going to want to consider prenuptial or postnuptial agreements. Don't want to stereotype. There are stay-at-home dads. Right. Many people jump to the conclusion that if a prenup is discussed, it means that someone with substantial assets is trying to keep the spouse from getting anything if they split. And this is really a fallacy in that that's really about making sure that if there's a split, both parties are satisfied 
potentially, with the outcome based on perhaps a disproportionate allocation of assets when the marriage begins. But actually, it could be debt that one person comes to the marriage with or assets. This is the time before the marriage that the non-moneyed spouse really has to negotiate their package, particularly important for those in work roles where one earns money and one might act as a CEO of the household, let's say. So stay-at-home parents, for example. While that is traditionally a one woman who stays at home. Yes, Danny, it could be a man. And it certainly was in my personal household. I went to work full time and he was the glue in the household for the kiddo. Is this true? Stay-at-home spouses who have been in marriage after 10, 15, or 25 years have essentially given up their earning power. Well, the problem is when you truncate your career in the workforce for a stay-at-home career, it's hard to put a monetary value on that. So there are many variables that impact if a spouse can return to a career, especially as we all age. Remember, one-fourth of divorces are over the age of 50. They're called gray divorces. Prenups, obviously, before marriage takes place. Is a postnup something that goes into place when a spouse decides to stay home? And why is that important? Yeah, but again, it's hard to demonstrate monetarily what their lifestyle is and why they can't earn any more. Remember that a marriage is, among many other things, a financial contract. So entering into it with a financial understanding can potentially help down the road if a split happens and emotions engage, not to mention the cost of divorce. And that can add up if you're especially trying to determine after the fact what the lifestyle would be returning to and why they can't go back to their career. Usually for post-nups to be valid, most parties must show that they're getting something out of the agreement and that neither party is at a disadvantage. So post-nups might be harder to enforce, particularly in community property or marital property states. What should be in a prenup or a postnup? Well, the biggest concerns are property division, spousal support, and business interests that come to mind. Equitable doesn't mean equal in most states. So while it is about the split, if a marriage splits, it's also addressing if either has substantial debt like student loans, or maybe one of them is expecting a large inheritance or owns a business. It's complicated. How would Annex help navigate this process if it was needed? Well, we aren't a law firm, so we don't draft the documents, but certainly we can make referrals to attorneys who can draft for our clients. And as my CDFA role, I will sit with anyone finding themselves in the middle or end of a splitting process and review the process itself, you know, educate them on that, work with them and their wealth manager here at Annex on how they will look coming out of the split. So on the other side of divorce, like any transition, there are uncertainties that our planning software and advisors can help address. Let's not assume everybody marries young. Is this more important for second marriages? Yeah. Now, often we see more seasoned clients deciding to marry, and sometimes they have children from previous marriages, and they want to protect those kids and protect those children's inheritance as well as take care of their new spouse. This can require some nuanced estate planning specifics in this area. And this is important to many of our clients, and that's why we have several estate planning attorneys on staff here at Annex as well. Again, we don't draft the estate planning documents, but we educate. We help them on the decisioning process so that the client's wishes are met and their children from a previous marriage aren't accidentally disinherited, for example. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development at Annex Wealth Management, also a Wealth Manager CFP and a CDFA. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, joined by Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services, Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Good to be here. 
Retirement plan services at Annex Wealth Management can get down to the nitty-gritty for company owners, CFOs, HR professionals when it comes to assisting in benefit plans that attract and retain great employees. It can also take things down to a very basic level so the employees in the program understand the benefit. And that's where we're going with this, 10 Things You Must Know About 401Ks. Tom, these bad boys have been around for 40 years, huh? Yeah, isn't that incredible? Some great stuff here. They're humble and lovable. The first one is you get a tax break for contributing to a 401k. Ding, ding, ding. That's the key. That is correct. People talk about matches and all this other stuff. Don't forget the tax benefits. And we'll actually circle back around to this again on number eight. So yes, tax benefits, keep that in mind. Yeah. What you put in comes off your taxable income. That does. In the pre-tax scenario, yes, it does. But also number eight is raw, so we'll get there. All right. We're going to get there. Number two, their contribution limits for 401ks. There are. So there are legal limits. It's $20,500 $20,500 plus $6,500 if you are 50 or older. That's here for 2022. There could be limits on your plan itself. They're a little bit lower than that, but that's a detail that, that we won't get into here. But those are basically the guidelines, yeah. Safe to say, if you really want to pile in, you can do it. That's right. Number three thing to know about 401ks, you may be auto-enrolled. Not a terrible thing. This is getting to be more and more popular. It's actually being very encouraged by the government to just automatically enroll people because what you find is most of the time when people are automatically enrolled, they stay in. Help me help you. Fourth thing to know about 401ks, there are fees. What do you know? Uh, It's not free, Danny. Uh, The thing about the fees is you want to make sure you understand how they work. There are fee disclosures. There's the 408B2 employer disclosure, and then there's the 404A5 participant disclosure. But yeah, take a look at those things. And if you have questions, ask your advisor for sure. Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services. 10 things you need to know about 401ks. Number five, you can choose from a selection of funds in your 401k. Yeah, and typically you're going to find a a broad range. Most of the time these days, you will also see target date funds, which are kind of a one-stop shop. But most 401k plans are going to have a a pretty decent option from which to choose. If you're looking for more information on target date funds, I believe you've got a great video on our Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel. That is correct. The What's That series. Number six, your employer might let you choose individual stocks in your 401k. Might. Might. You see this with bigger plans. A lot of times it'll be the, the stock of the company itself. Um, and then other times there will be brokerage accounts in there. You don't see that as much and those are kind of expensive. Be careful with those. That's the sort of thing you just do want to be careful with in a 401k plan. Good advice. Seventh thing to know about 401ks, you may have a Roth 401k option. That's right. Okay. I guess I was wrong. I thought it was number eight. Yes. Roth in a 401k plan. The key thing to keep in mind here is that the limits that apply to Roth IRA contributions, the income limits do not apply in a 401k plan. So most plans do have Roth these days. If your plan doesn't have it, you should ask why and ask them to add it. I'm a big fan of the Roth. Okay. And then number eight on the list, you can roll over a 401k account. That's right. So when you leave your employer, you have the ability to do a variety of things with your balance. You can either take a distribution. We don't usually recommend that one. You can usually roll it into an IRA. Sometimes you can actually leave it in the plan, depending on how much money you have, $5,000 or more. You can't be forced to take it out. And you can oftentimes roll it into your new employer's plan if you want to do that. So a lot of options there. We've got an entire website that kind of walks through your, your Yeah, folks, there. and if you've recently taken a job, um, we can help on, on that as well. The ninth thing on the list to know about 401ks, eventually you must withdraw money from the 401k. Yeah, there are required minimum distribution rules associated with 401ks, just like there are in the IRA world. A little crossover, some differences between them. But I mean, the whole idea of saving is to at some point take it out. So make sure you're paying attention to that. By that point in your life, hopefully you're working closely with an advisor and they'll keep track of all that stuff for you. 
And the final thing to know about your 401k, and it's just, it's the 10th thing of this 10 point list. It's my least favorite thing, yeah, Danny. I, that, I was going to couch it there. Um, you can borrow from it. Sometimes. A lot of plans do not allow for loans. I actually recommend to our clients that they don't allow for loans. And if they do, that they limit the number of loans to you know one. Try not to think of your 401k as a piggy bank is my recommendation. Find some other way to fund that thing that you're looking for. Don't, don't pillage your retirement because you're going to regret it later on down the road. And there's a huge gotcha if you leave the job. Yeah, then it's no longer a loan. It becomes a distribution and you have to pay taxes and penalties and all that fun stuff. And that's heartbreaking. We do see that more often than I'd like. And, you know, it's just one of those things that if you were in a situation where you needed the loan in the first place, you just add an insult to injury when you get hit with the tax bill. Company owners, CFOs, HR professionals, great benefits attract and retain great employees. If we can help, contact Tom Parks. You can do that via our website, right, Tom? That is correct. AnnexWealth.com. For investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference. Our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Danny. Someone asks how you are. Most of the time, it's good. So how's your money, your investments, your retirement plans? Given everything going on, good might not be the answer. It's time for Annex Wealth Management. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. Annex will build a plan that addresses your financial, retirement, tax, and estate planning. Annex Wealth Management can change the conversation. We don't want you to answer, good. We want you to feel the confidence of saying, great. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. AnnexWealth.com. We're back. I'm Dave Spano, now joined by Brian Jacobson, our chief economist. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you for having me. You know, when we talk about uh, different clients, you know, some of the higher net worth clients have more complex needs, and therefore we do some different planning with them. And you think about, you know, what we could do, but, you know, one of the the things that we do talk about is volatility. There's a toolbox that we can Mm -hmm. use for that. There is. You know, most people, when they're looking at investing and they see the ups and downs in the markets, they think about managing volatility through asset allocation. Sorry, stocks versus bonds. If they're afraid of the volatility, sometimes they'll just go a little bit more in bonds. But what we've seen lately... And bonds can actually add volatility to a portfolio. And so when we're sitting down with the higher net worth clients, uh, they oftentimes have more complex situations, which requires a little bit more sophisticated toolbox for us to use to help solve their financial problems. And in, in a lot of times, you know, we'll do this bucket theory that we've covered, and we'll, we'll circle back on that in just a minute. But a lot of clients that we put in, we sometimes use no-load institutional class mutual funds or exchange traded funds. But the toolbox is bigger when you start to think about individual securities. It really is. And so we have some great people on our team uh, to look at individual equities and then also individual fixed income. And for each one of those, there are different techniques that we can use in order to try to customize a portfolio to help them manage their risks. When it comes to the individual equities, there's also the ability to really use options in order to add a little bit more protection to a portfolio. As far as if you think about a put option, it's the right but not the obligation to sell a security, uh, and also to use it to opportunistically enter and exit positions. So some rather sophisticated techniques that we can use in order to not just get people into the positions, but keep them there as well. You know, you and I did a presentation this week and somebody asked that question. And I really liked your answers that we consider it a tool or a technique 
and not really an asset class. It, it is. You know, there are some people who view options as really a strategy. And honestly, I haven't seen those strategies perform consistently all that well to really be worth the added complexity and the added cost. So we view them as tools in the toolbox. So we use them on top of a security. And this give a real quick example. If you owned ABC Company, what we could do with that? Sure. So if you own ABC Company and you are concerned about whether or not there's going to be a market sell-off, one thing you could consider doing, and we of course would do this for you, is to actually purchase like a put option which would provide some of that downside protection. You have to pay a price for it in terms of what's called the option premium, but it does provide you some protection on the downside. And you think about, for example, individual equities that we can do that, you know, we can target exposure and we can also look at their volatility because the more they're in, the more they move around, the more some of these tools and techniques work better. That is correct. And actually, I think a good example of that is back in August, things were looking pretty complacent in the markets. And we actually viewed that as a good opportunity. Uh, Effectively, the market was giving us an opportunity to add insurance, these put options, at a very low price. And then all of a sudden you see the markets trade down. The value of some of these options can actually go up to offset some of those losses. And then the fourth bucket that we talked about, we talked about equities, individual equities. We talked about bonds, individual bonds. We talked about cash, and that's an opportunity. But there's a fourth part of the portfolio, and that's alternative investments. Yeah, alternatives, that's really a passion of mine. I really enjoy studying those and trying to work with clients to find out when it's appropriate to use it as part of their portfolio. And it's a very large group of types of investments. Our main focus is looking at sort of expanding that investment opportunity set. Basically, the more options that you have as far as to invest in, and that's what private markets can do. It could be private equity, it could be private real estate, or private credit. Now, alternatives is a very broad umbrella. It could also include sophisticated trading strategies, but the ones that we tend to like on the investment committee are more related to these private market opportunities. And you think about, for example, where we are as a firm, we have a private client group, of course, of, that you are part of that has access to the estate planning attorneys on our team, the CPAs, PhDs, such as yourself. And so that's those strategies and tools can be implemented. And one of the places that you can take a look at it is through tax smart investing. That's correct. And we do the asset location along with the allocation. And just as an example of that, if you're considering your fixed income investments and then your equities, if you have, let's say just a typical example, like a Roth account, maybe you want to put the equities in the Roth account and then put municipal bonds in the taxable account. So something as simple as that, an asset allocation and location integration can help improve the tax efficiency of an overall portfolio. And folks, if any of this makes sense to you, we can give you a test ride. Come in and have a conversation with our team and see if we are a good fit. There's a way to get that done by going to AnnexWealth.com and hitting the Get Started button. Thanks for listening. Make a positive change for your investment and retirement planning and work with a fee only fiduciary. We're ready to help. We'll see you in a week. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show.